Go ahead and open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. This week, Robert P. George, who's a professor at Princeton University, wrote about what it takes to advocate for the oppressed and the way that advocacy is often misunderstood today. He said this, I sometimes ask students what their position on slavery would have been had they been white and living in the South before abolition. Guess what? They all would have been abolitionists. They all would have bravely spoken out against slavery and worked tirelessly against it. Of course, this is nonsense. Only the tiniest fraction of them, or of any of us, would have spoken up against slavery or lifted a finger to free the slaves. Most of them, and us, would have gone along. Many would have supported the slave system and happily benefited from it. So I respond by saying that I will credit their claims if they can show evidence of the following. That in leading their lives today, they have stood up for the rights of unpopular victims of injustice whose very humanity is denied, and where they have done so knowing that it would make them unpopular with their peers. Two, that they would be loathed and ridiculed by powerful, influential individuals and institutions in our society. Three, that they would be abandoned by many of their friends. Four, that they would be called nasty names. And five, that they would risk being denied valuable professional opportunities as a result of their moral witness. In short, my challenge is to show where they have at risk to themselves and their futures stood up for a cause that is unpopular in elite sectors of our culture today. This week, we are concluding our Cries of the Oppressed series, an unplanned journey into the scriptures and into American history in the wake of a world that is still reeling from the brutal murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and so many before them. Ending a series like this one, a series wrought with tension and emotions on edge, is complicated. This conversation around race and justice and reconciliation is not ending for our church. It's a conversation we will continue to explore in the weeks and months and years ahead, just as our conversation around discipleship to Jesus itself is unending. And discipleship to Jesus means learning to do righteousness and justice. But next week, a new series will begin. So how do you bring this part of the conversation to a kind of conclusion or a kind of epilogue? As your pastor and friend, I, I want to offer a word of warning and a word of encouragement for you, my church, the church that I love, the men, women, and children I know and care for deeply. First, the warning. I've spoken to many of you uh, across the span of the last few weeks, to your community leaders, and I've seen that in the spectrum of extremes, this conversation and this series has found many of you differently. And there is a dangerous comfortability in the extremes. At one pole, it can be very easy to be a loud, outspoken social media ally. And at the other pole, it can be very easy to check out, resign, excuse yourself, do nothing. My warning, my plea, is to move away from both extremes, run from them, pull yourself from their currents, their gravitational pull toward the more difficult and much better center. I believe we will find Jesus there. I've been thinking about what Professor George wrote these last few days and the incredible irony 
that what makes a true champion of justice sounds almost like the exact opposite of modern social media activism. I don't mean that it's wrong to talk about race and justice on social media, not at all, but I think Professor George is right. When we actually walk the long road of righteousness and justice, it will not be easy or comfortable. It will not always lift us up on a moral pedestal. It will not invite the acclaim of our peers. It might be easy to imagine you are doing costly justice work knowing what you say on an Instagram story or on a tweet would rile your conservative aunt or your right-wing acquaintance, but we often want to provoke these people. It gratifies us. We want to pick those fights. But I believe that real righteousness will often, maybe more often, lead us to disagreements we would rather not have. In Professor George's words, it will make us unpopular with our peers. We will be loathed and ridiculed by powerful, influential individuals and institutions in our society. We will be abandoned by many of our friends. We will be called nasty names, and we will risk being denied valuable professional opportunities as a result of our moral witness. We will, at risk to ourselves and our futures, stand up for a cause that is unpopular in elite sectors of our culture today. Not those cultural sectors that you already hate and already want nothing to do with, but the cause of Jesus will put you at odds with the places of influence and belonging where you want in, where you want approval. It's easy to speak your mind when your world loves what you have to say, when speaking your mind only really offends the people you want to offend. That's easy. That's comfortable. That doesn't mean that unless you're infuriating everyone that you're not actually doing justice. It just stands as an ominous reminder that it won't always be easy. It's also very easy to do nothing, to take the escape hatch of self-defense or cry overwhelmed and say, but I haven't done anything or but what can I do? It's easy to allow your political idols to obstruct the way of Jesus, to sneer and say, but if I take this road, what are the political implications? Will I have to fraternize with the enemy? But following Jesus does mean fraternizing with the enemy. It commands, not asks, commands that we set our political allegiances aside. It commands that we allow Jesus to pry, often painfully, apathy and indifference and fear from our trembling hands that he might set us on the difficult road we would rather not walk. But these warnings give way to the encouragement. When we travel this road, Jesus will walk with us. Jesus goes before us to lead us, to show us the way The good shepherd carries his strong staff to protect us from wolves and predators along the difficult way. The mighty king banishes darkness that blinds and stumbles us. The gentle savior rescues us from pitfalls, mends our wounds, lifts us when we collapse. The great healer restores us from exhaustion and sustains us as we walk with him. And when the road of righteousness and justice becomes painful, for many of you, it already has, even in these conversations over the last few weeks. When the road becomes painful, when our good king leads us where we would rather not go, when going with him means laying our political idols down or being rejected by those from whom we most want acceptance, when this happens, we are like him. Read this with me from Matthew 10. 
As Jesus sends his students on mission, he tells them this. Matthew 10, beginning with verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils, and you will be flogged in their synagogues. On my account, or because of me, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. It will be very bad. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. This week, I don't have an in-depth Bible teaching or a long sermon for you. I want this word of warning and encouragement, this epilogue, to act as an introduction to someone else. In this video description and on our website where this teaching is hosted, we've listed a few sermons and discussions for you. I want you to choose one of them to listen to today and to discuss with your community when you gather later. Talking about race can be difficult, but living the way of justice will be difficult for all of us at some point along the way. It will be difficult. With much of the world, many of us felt something when we saw that video of George Floyd's merciless killing just a few weeks ago now. The world feels as if it is at some kind of tipping point, a a juncture, a time and place in history when something is happening. But it's easy to shout when we're upset and easy to hide when we're afraid. It's easy to do both in the moment. Real justice is a long road that outlasts the moment by years, by a lifetime. Real justice is sometimes easy, but more often difficult and costly. To have this conversation as a church at the time uh, was, I think, very important for us. But the road ahead will be more than a series in the moment, which is, in many ways, the easier part of the journey. The long road means a conversation that doesn't erode when outrage subsides. The long road means learning a new way of life under the authority of our master and king, Jesus. Learning to do and live righteousness and justice, to love our enemies, to hear the cries of the oppressed. This week, I heard an intercom reminding everyone with an earshot about the requirement to wear masks and facial coverings as the pandemic carries on around us. And I was struck by the wording of the pre-recorded voice. It said, wearing a mask promotes safety and demonstrates courtesy to others. And how striking, I thought, how convicting. That, in in a ridiculous world of such staggering political idolatry, that even masks have become a weapon to demonstrate your side, that this soothing voice on this intercom put things so plainly, demonstrate courtesy to others. I heard it this way, does it really matter whose side you're on or whose data you're reading in the absolute ridiculous argument about masks? Maybe wearing the thing could help someone from getting sick. So demonstrate courtesy to others. 
And I thought of Paul in that moment who said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, value others above yourself. Justice at its core can be a simple thing. What if you lay aside your political preferences or your perceived sides or your word mincing or your slippery slopes or your need to feel celebrated or defended in order to love others? If there is some way that we can love others, let us find that way and take it at expense to ourselves. When it's easy and when it is very difficult, when it feels good and when it hurts just as Jesus did for us.